Welcome back to a spooky episode of Stream of Thought. Victor's shaking his head right now, but we're on episode number 38 of Stream of Thought, and we begin the conversation. <laughs> Do you just want to redo this? You're just look- keep going. You're looking at me going. as though I'm I got confused while you were like, this will be our Halloween episode. We didn't talk about anything about Halloween. No, but so much better because we, <laughs> we talk about Victor's shoelaces oh, yeah. and, and watch bands, but... I mean, really, this episode, I feel like, centers a lot around human morality and the relationship that we have with one another and how we deal with that. And it takes various forms from whether or not what Victor does is stealing. And uh, and then we get into... I can't remember what we <laughs> talked about after the shoelaces. We, we talk... We, well, we talk about... Like, what is it more? Oh, the, Rick's the had a little rant that he was embarrassed about. And then morality in the workplace yes. of, like, how should you treat your bosses what's when appropriate, you're not What's not appropriate? And what's stealing? What's not stealing? I mean, all of it, is it a gray area? Life, my entire life is in the gray area. It seems to be that way. But we break it down, and it's really interesting. And then we finally t- touch on really one of the most interesting topics for me, which is communication in the digital medium. Uh I left a comment on YouTube of all things, and the results of that ended up being quite surprising. I don't know, Victor. Uh, just can we talk about a little bit about just in being intellectual and what happens? What just the difference between when conversations? You try to open up a dialogue. Com- yeah, the difference is when you try and open up a dialogue on the internet versus dialogue in person. Pros and cons. Exactly. Yes. So with that being said, episode number thirty-eight, stream of thought. We hope you enjoy. All right, so do you remember when we were finished with the Trump, the presidential library, and on our way back, they made us move cars, and so the conductor's like, hey, next time you see me, I'll comp you a free ride. Totally, yeah. So I saw, I didn't see him, but I saw the other guy who we were talking with about the YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. And so when I was on the train the other day, like, hey, you have the YouTube channel. You remember me? I like let him like your buddy said you caught me a ride. He's like, oh yeah. So I got a free ride on the train the other day. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. He he. It looked like he recognized me, but he didn't really know what I was talking about. So it kind of seemed like he was just kind of like, yeah, I it, like making you purchase a ticket or punch your ten ride. Um, it's not worth me trying to comprehend what it is you're telling me. So I'm just gonna. So you say, don't think yeah. that he like made the full connection, or do you I think, think he, I don't he think he did. He recognized me, but I don't think he knew what I was talking about. Well, I'm kind of actually surprised that you followed up through following with that. up on that because yeah. that seems, yeah, like it would take a little bit of intentional foresight. As I'm gonna, I'm gonna search out this person mean? and be like, oh. Well, well, I fulfill fulfill the uh, pact that we had formed on that special night down in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I had an opportunity for a free ride, so I took it. Hey, I subbed him, so. <laughs> oh, did you really? Yeah, of course. Nice. Of course. Hey, if there's another small YouTuber out there, I, I totally support that attitude. Another um, thing that I've noticed is I got back into ra- wearing a wristwatch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I didn't have it, and to see what time it was, I took my wrist up. And I was like, "Oh, I don't have my watch on." And I have to say, it is pretty nice. Just, oh, I need to know what time it is. Let me just lift up my hand instead of taking out my phone and looking at my phone to see what time it is. Yeah. It's a little refreshing, I should say. And a lot of people comment on it because I've had this for a long time, but um, I just haven't worn it. As you can see. So it's a it's a little like it's a pretty thin It's a little plastic. digital Casio and Casio. people are people are always like, Is that a uh calculator? I'm like, No. Cause it's so like it's just so retro. People don't wear these digital watches, you know? No. They wear the fake Rolexes. Hey, but hey. it's got the time, it's got the day and the date. You hit mode, you can set an alarm, hit it again, you got a stopwatch. Yeah, I mean, they're super reliable for sure. You know, it's just great. It's just super simple, yeah. and I love it. Well, and, and I mean, that's one of those things that I have fallen out of the habit of, but I really, I mean, it's, when you have a watch, it makes the world of difference. It really does. I was about to say, when you have a when you have a uh, watch, endless possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> endless possibilities. Yeah, well, and, and it becomes habit, too, so you don't really even think about it, but... 
here's the thing. When I stopped wearing a watch, it's because the battery in my watch died. And mm. I just haven't got, I've been too lazy to replace it. But it, I, every time I keep thinking about it, that I have to pull up my phone and look at the time, I keep thinking, how nice would it be to, like, just glance at my wrist right. and not have to worry about any of that? Plus, it's a nice-looking fake Rolex, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's classy. Like, it adds to the attire as well. Yeah. It's, it's a very... Uh, nice accessory. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that your battery died because these, I believe it said a five-year battery life. I got this summer 2013 when I went to Colorado to do backpacking, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to rely on my cell phone for service, which Mm -hmm. I could tell the time still, but, you know, when you're out backpacking, it's just better to have a little wristwatch. Anyway, funny story. Over time, so I got this 2013, June 2013, uh, like January or February 2015, I noticed it had a small tear. And I was like, what the heck? And then one day, the it just tore off where the little holes are. I was like, what the heck? I was really disappointed. What, and you look, to- you look, tore the- this did right here. Oh, so where the, the hole, the where, the, where the, the holes are, the strap. Yeah. And like a faux leather strap. Or- no, it, it was, it was, it's rubber. Give okay. it a feel. It's rubber. Oh, so this ended up. Yeah, it, it had, there was a little. Uh, there was a little tear, and I was like, "Uh oh!" Okay. And then one time, uh, something caught on it, and it just tore off. And I was like, "What the hell?" Because I really, really liked this watch. So for, I mean, the longest time, a good at least a year, I just didn't have it. Yeah. And I would go back to Walmart to see if they had this same watch, which is where I got it from, and I just couldn't find it. I would. And I just couldn't find it. And they had this version, but it was bigger. But I wanted the, the smaller size. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And I'm just thinking to myself, I, one, I can't believe they don't have this. Two, I can't believe that, you know, only after a couple of years, it just randomly tore off. Yeah. That, oh, there was a little tear. It's not like I slid my hand against something and just ripped off. Like there was a little tear. Once it tore to the hole, it was like half torn off. And then after a while it caught something and completely tore, which it wouldn't have torn if it was just completely fine in the first place, mm-hmm. which I believe maybe it was starting to wear and tear because of how many times I, I just never took it off. Just how many times it would be um, exposed to water. Maybe I don't know, yep. but it's water I resistant. Mean, it's... I don't know. Anyway, did a little wheeling dealing on my own, and I found the watch at Walmart again. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. I'm definitely buying this thing. So I buy the watch, right? I buy the watch, and I think to myself, you know what? This watch should have lasted longer than it did. So I swapped them out, bro. I swapped them out and returned the watch that was shitty. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. So this is a guy. How do, you, how do you feel about that? I don't decision? give a shit. <laughs> okay. I don't give a shit all at right. all. I swap them out for yeah. sure. That was fair. But <laughs> you know, now I got this watch. Uh, well, so I mean, and that's the thing too is that I find that I'm not one of those people. Are you? Do you buy clothes on a regular basis? Nope. I don't know. I do okay. not. I buy clothes maybe once a year. Yeah. Same here. Uh, I mean. Maybe even less than that is once I have clothes, unless they start developing holes in them, I feel as though they are legitimate attire mm-hmm. and I don't need more than a certain amount, right? Yes. Like, it's not like I need three dressers full of shirts or something like that. Yes. Plus, there's the additional, like, people for holidays or birthdays always buy you clothes or t-shirts or, like, stuff that, If like, you buy the right clothes, they're not going to go out of style, no. You know, for example, my go-to shirts are V-necks, and I have some sweaters, and I have some V-neck yeah, sweaters. Yeah. I have the same sweaters that I've worn Speaking for five or six never years. never out of style. Me? V-necks. No, they're, be- they're you great. You've always worn V-necks. What am I, I supposed to wear? A crew right? neck? Are you kidding me? I'm not wearing that. I know. You have one. I know. Yeah, right. And I look so much better than you. No. Crew necks? Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, continue. So, yeah, but... The one thing that – and I'm sure this is like a universal problem that most people have is is the sock issue of – I mean I don't know what it is if there's there's this magical portal that exists in like an alternative universe that just doesn't like socks. But man, I don't know what it is. I could buy a full pack of socks within six months. I got like two of them left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. It's insane. I don't – like I literally don't know where they disappear to. They can't <laughs> – they can't like – walk away on their own right. but but it's one of those unsolved mysteries that 
I mean, and it's a reoccurring thing over the course of my life, and I feel like a lot of people have experienced this Same too, thing with me. Where it doesn't matter. I mean, this started at like 13 years old. I, I've, I've just had the, the, the mystery of the constantly vanishing socks. Yes. And then, like, you have the socks that you end up do keeping, like those two that remain from that entire pack, and you just wear them over and over again, and they get holes yep. in the next, like, four months, and you're like... Well, damn, I need a new pack of socks. So you're just yeah. constantly going through this vicious cycle of just burning through socks. There has got to be an easier way, man. That happens to me, too, and I don't understand it because I'm pretty good about making sure I don't leave things in the washer or dryer. You're, people. You're, you're a pretty I'm meticulous just, person. And I'm just like, where do these things go? I don't understand. I don't understand. But it's a universal thing, I feel like. Everyone's sock reserves end up diminishing somehow. I agree, and I it's it's one of those great mysteries of life. But yeah, man, when it comes to when it comes to finding replacements, I am an absolute cheap ass and a procrastinator when it comes to like I have my Bluetooth headphones that have been in Minnesota for a year. I haven't <laughs> bought a replacement pack because I'm heading up to Minnesota in like three weeks, uh-huh. and uh, and I'm planning on getting it then. And I really hope that it hasn't like you know destroyed the internal battery or anything like that because i love those pair speaking of replacements it's funny because i had these uh shoes these leather clark shoes and i had them for for i i I, four or five years and i went to this party and after a while the laces that get worn down and um the laces got, got worn down and i was at this party and the floor was really sticky and i remember thinking to myself like what am i doing here i met my friend's house party and i i feel like i'm in college again there's just super loud music alcohol everywhere the floor is sticky people are going nuts i'm just like i think i'm getting a little too old for this anyway i lift up my foot but because of the stickiness it holds my foot to the floor and i break the lace as i bring my foot up now i temporarily tied retied the lace together and i've tried using hot glue and everything for the longest time where the lace break I have to show it to you. It's weird it, because it's not laces that intertwine a whole bunch. It's just a very simple shoe with laces that just literally intertwine two times. Okay. So it's like right there. And um, so I I tie them and I've tried hot glue and then I think the other shoe eventually over time. And it was a temporary solution. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. And then after a while, it just – it didn't – it broke again. It's like I can't do this. And in, in that time, I've looked for laces – that are the same size in terms of length and thickness, I can't find them. I can't find them anywhere. Hmm. And these are for leather shoes, so I need dark, round uh, laces. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, to match. And I can't find them. I can't. I go to Walmart. I go to JCPenney. I go to Kohl's. I can't. I look online. I can't find anything. Well, that's odd. But I'm at Kohl's, and I'm walking around, and... I take a look at these pair of shoes that are on display, and I think to myself, you know what? The laces on those display shoes might work. So I take the laces out of the display shoes, right? right? And then I walk away, and then I come back and take the laces out of the second shoe, and I just take them and I put them in my pocket and walk out. Oh, my goodness. I feel like we need to have a conversation you know? on what your boundaries are for <laughs> when it comes to, to following the many rules. This is very fascinating. Okay, to I needed some this laces. Very, they had them. See, that is a very fascinating thing to do. <laughs> as, a, as a recovering gambling addict, I feel as though my life was made up of sort of like the gray areas <laughs> of life. Of like, well, it's not technically like illegal or wrong or like I'm doing something morally bankrupt, but... But I'm not. But it's not. But I cannot be morally justified. But I'm not. I'm not. Here's the thing, though. I'm not sitting there thinking to myself, "Well, this, well, that." My thought is, "Yo, I see some laces. I'm going to take those, and I just take them because the store's not going to miss them." What's the boundary? (laughs) There is no boundary, bro. Yeah, I needed laces. The display shoe. Look, there's a cash register open. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that type of stuff. (laughs) Well, yeah, but where's the boundary between the cash register and the shoelaces? What like if you see like what I mean? Where's the where do you draw that personal line, or is that that gray area of like if the perfect opportunity presents itself, anything's on no. the table? Like say the it's just money. Opens, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't. I'm cool. With the, I don't. I'm well, not. And, just the, and take that's why money. I asked too, is because you're a pretty straight laced person. It's not like you, you go <laughs> around like trying to manipulate. Uh-huh. I, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not like you go around trying to like bend the rules or or be like you always you don't you don't feel morally like you have a moral center and and doing these sort of things on the periphery don't interfere with that moral justification that yeah. you live your life around. So it's very interesting to me because it's like, yes, I mean, I totally agree with you that, I mean, I would probably be in the same boat if, if I if I was that type of person to be like, I need new shoelaces. Yeah. Let's swap them out. But like, where where does that line, like, where does it get into that, like, is there is there an iffy area or like, because it felt like you were totally fine re- returning your uh, your watch yeah, uh, in the broken watch, or switching out the shoes that were in the store. <laughs> like, like, how much further in the center do we have to go down this rabbit hole before we find where that that brick wall is? We'll find out. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some other scenarios where, yeah, that are that are know, similar of like, of like where you've decided this is a little too far, or I had that question and just like it's not even worth it, kind of thing. Yeah. I did once, um, I used to steal the chromies when I was in sixth grade, you know, the little chrome uh, for the wheels. Oh, yes. I used to take those when I was in sixth grade. Um, looking back, that was just like, what was I doing? It was just something A lot do. of kids, yeah. I mean, that's not really unnatural or anything. But I'm saying like in your adult life, in your post-18-year-old but age. But I did find, I did need at one point some, uh, some of the plastic tire caps you know for my car because one i think one or two they had fallen off or something and i i just needed some mm. and at uh at a previous job I, there was like a trailer that had some that was just sitting there that was sitting there you could tell that never was used this thing was rusted the tires were flat I'm like this thing's not fucking using them so i i i screwed up the like two of them off and put them on my car <laughs> wait where where were these uh these were at the park district. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. this is off of a trailer that was literally sitting there. That I've worked there for you know a few years. It hasn't moved. It's rusted. The tires are flat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm just so, like, I mean, this thing's not used. Yeah, so I, I just mean, took it, them. Yeah, no one, no one will be missing yeah. that kind of thing. It's like not an active use. Yeah. Is that – maybe that's your criteria that it, as long as it doesn't affect another because like, human being. With like, the with, – I mean like I wouldn't – if there were a pair of shoes – at someone's house, I'm not going to screw up. Actually, <laughs> that would be hilarious. I might do like, that. I might do that. I might do that. It's like, dude, I'm going to put locks on all my shoes now. But they were displayed because my yeah. thought process was: these are shoes on display. They're maybe they re- they're not going to sell them because yeah, obviously, obviously they have an inventory. Or I don't know what happens to these shoes. But I know these laces aren't being utilized, so I'm going to take them because I need them. I'm not going to take cash, you know what I'm saying? But Yeah, but it's so interesting. I don't because, ask permission. Like, Yes, I know, and it, better to ask permission. But, I mean, technically, do you consider what you're doing illegal? No, hell no. Okay, all right. So maybe – And if I did, whatever. I don't give a fuck. I need the fucking laces. laces. So proportionality. It's not like you're taking the shoes. You're just taking, yeah. you know, laces that probably took maybe 15 cents to man- manufacture. Yeah. And that, honestly, are not going to be missed because they're going to end up getting replaced or thrown out or, like, whatever. Because, I mean, shoes are just rotating, especially right. at places like that. where Right. Like, if I work at a shoe factory, I'm not going to, like, steal laces and, like, all this crazy shit. Like, this is an isolated well, uh, incident. No, it, absolutely. You know it's, what I'm saying? It's like need based you know sort of like at the grocery store like at the grocery store i don't like purposely break shit so i can like eat the can you know what i'm saying like i don't do that exactly it's not done with malicious intent it's it's more the convenience factor without inconvenience yeah but if someone were to say to me like victor what you did was stealing i'd say fuck off i need i need the laces i don't give a shit yeah because you've worked through the moral equation and you've come down on the fact that it's not an immoral act. And so it doesn't matter what other people are going to tell you. Yeah. It's like you have made the determination based on all the factors relevant to your decision, even if you're not consciously thinking about it at the time. <laughs> like in hindsight, you will you will find a way to be able to justify that action. Because, yeah. I mean, proportionally, I think – yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think you make a very reasonable argument in okay. this conversation because <laughs> – if you were desperate for laces, would you have? What would you have done? Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I mean, I. Well, yeah. 
in my got new in life, touch with in your my, got in, in touch with your inner bad boy in and my, just take in, the laces. In my new life, in my new life, in the life that I'm living post 2016. Yeah. Um. No, I would I would never do that. Uh, I I feel as though like my moral rigidity is sort of you know I'm I'm a little more morally rigid I think than I was prior to that. Yeah. But prior to 2016, prior to my whole like issues, like when I was living a good and righteous life, yeah. yes, I probably would have also followed that path. When um when the, when the day that that happened, I had gone to my improv class, and during the class, we you know at the end of class or beginning or something, we tell like what we've done for the week or something like that. And I told that story, dude. They were laughing their asses off. They thought that shit was so funny. And then we were doing a scene, and somehow it got brought up like person that didn't have any shoes or had shoes but didn't have somehow they incorporated that into a scene dude it was so funny well and that's the thing too is that it it's such an unusual unusual circumstance that it's not like something you hear every day (laughs) this this dude walked into a store and switched out laces it is goofy yeah it is kind of goofy it's goofy it's abstract thinking yeah but yeah i can't remember i don't think uh i'm trying to think of other instances um one time, actually, at, like, Sam Ash, when I was living in Indianapolis, I needed a chart that had piano chords on it. So I, like, bought this book. It was, like, 16 bucks. I was like, I don't need the fucking book. All I need is one page. So I, like, made a photocopy at work and then returned the book the next day. It was, See, that was that was one of those things, too, especially when I was in college. Mm. That's another one of those moral, moral gray areas that I might actually reconsider. Like, I don't Because... Like, books for college and grad school are effing expensive. Hundreds and hundreds of effing dollars. And you know this, too. And it's like, if a class is going to make you purchase a $120 textbook and you're only going to use three or four pages out of there, I mean, I'm going to find a way around that to not spend the 120 effing dollars. Yeah, I did that shit, too. It's like, I mean, for me, that even today I think would still be morally justifiable in my eyes because it's absurd that you would spend so much That's money a fucking for... racket, dude. Yeah, and I feel like that that's college moral behavior textbooks. on the side of the those that producing is a the racket. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So much money is wasted. Yeah. And and just think about how much it's actually used. I mean I, I would take much... books. I would, I'd straight up swipe them from the bookstore at the end of the year. I'd, I'd sneak them back in on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them. Some of them. Yeah. Dude, this just doesn't end with me, dude. I, this, I, I, when there's a trigger, dude, I guarantee <laughs> I've got plenty more oh. of these stories. Oh, I like this. We're heading down the rabbit but, hole. But, yeah, I did that, too. For I, I got to say, like, at least – Several hundred dollars with the books. Yeah. Just borrow them Just borrow for the them school year the and then bring them and, and then bring, bring them back. back. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's one of those gray areas that I'm like, I'm honestly not too outraged about. I wouldn't I don't think that too many people could get morally outraged about, right. about a situation like that. Because anybody who's been in that position understands the sort of like complications yes. that go into a situation like that. It's like you ever watch uh, the movie Office Space? Oh yeah. When they they just take fractions of a penny and funnel it into yes. a different account <laughs> right. and all of a sudden they got like hundreds of thousands of Billions dollars. Of dollars it's yeah. not stealing. It's like, but you're <laughs> taking something that's not yours. Yes, but no no it's not stealing. Exactly. That's what stealing is. Yes. And that, <laughs> I think that the office space analogy right there, I think, is the conundrum that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Is where where is that fraction of a penny add up to a billion dollars? Yeah. Like where is that threshold? Right? Because they probably wouldn't have felt so bad if it had only added up to tens of thousands of dollars from God. But you know, billions of dollars suddenly is like, oh my god, yeah, like, they're like, that's oh, real shit. money kind of thing. They misplaced the decimal. Yeah, and that's the thing too, is when we head into these sort of things, we don't know what we're sort of getting into. Because like, say you had been spotted like swiping those books out of the, you know, <laughs> All like, right. what the fuck would have happened? You don't know. I mean, but you probably would have been like, I don't know. Something not good. Part of it, though, too, is is a little bit of the adrenaline. Like, all right, it's go time. I think why my brother did the shit that you know the the adrenaline rush, obviously. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. (laughs) It's whatever. It's borrowing the 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 moral, and you know, it's all perspective too. It is. It's like when you're in the position, you know the context, you know the situation. Like, part of it, too, is acknowledging that maybe you don't know the full situation. But 
when you make those instantaneous decisions, they're done. Like, they, mm-hmm. you make them, you do what you do, and you move on. Um, just to change gears, today, when I was uh, at work, usually i just ready to leave, like, most of the time. But I was just, like, getting shit done all day today. And I was just, like, organizing one thing after another. And... I was ready to leave at three, but I still had some things I needed to finish. So I was like, okay, I don't want to, I wasn't, I wasn't pissed that I was still at work. I was like, okay, like I'll get this thing done. But it was like, I had a sense of awareness, like, oh wow. Like right now I just have this real sense of pride in my work that I'm getting done, like organizing, filling, getting things done. Yeah. And it was just like, I could have left, but if I left early, then I would have known, like, these little things wouldn't have gotten done, and it would have really bothered me. Mm -hmm. And so I went out of my way to do a couple extra things, and then I drew the line, like, okay, I'm stopping here, and I'm I'm wiping my hands clean. I'm not doing this other stuff. But I left today just thinking to myself, like, man, I got a lot of stuff done today, and it felt great. Awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that. Was there was there something that was there a direction we're leading? No, just like a sense of pride and getting a solid <laughs> day's work done. Because yeah. other times I'm like, other times I'm like, after a few hours I'm, I'm over. Other times I'm like over it. I'm like, I don't even give a shit yeah. if this work is sloppy. I'm bouncing. I'm out of here. It's yeah. like I can't. Yeah, yeah, I can't totally. pinpoint. And why today I was just like super into it, and other days I'm like I don't give a fuck. You guys finish this later. I'm out. I can totally relate. Like when it comes to drywall stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, w- there are certain days where I feel like I'm doing awesome, and this is going to be perfection. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with Ray until like seven o'clock if we mm-hmm. have to. And then there are other days where I'm just like I just don't fucking care. Like I just <laughs> want to get this done, get it over with and be done like mm-hmm. start the next day fresh like whatever but um, there's just no more energy left and it's it's interesting because it fluctuates but mm-hmm. those days where you have that energy is just like you feel so great afterwards because yeah. you're like i i i fulfilled you know what i set out to do you know whatever capacity that is and it's like i went above and beyond you know yeah. I, I sort of invested my time and energy and you know i don't think that's a bad thing no not at all but on the flip side too when I don't complete something and I'm like, I'm so over and I leave. Like, I don't think twice about like, oh man, maybe I should have done this. I don't like, I don't care at yeah. all. And yeah. it doesn't bother but, me and I don't lose any sleep over it. And I think that, that too, I think is a greater like problem when it comes to um, like taking ownership of what you're doing. Cause I feel like a lot of people are in your boat where they leave work and they're done with the work, you know, it's, it's off their plate. It's not their responsibility. And I don't know, man, I feel like the, the best days that I have is where I feel like I have that sense of ownership where I have not just sort of control over my environment and the ability to like get things done, Mm -hmm. but also the ability for others to acknowledge my work. Right. It's not like a boasting thing, but it's like, I, I have, I have the ability to be a, effective employee and other people have the ability to see me as an effective employee i feel like those are the best days as like where you feel like you're doing something great and you also simultaneously feel like other people are able to see you doing yes, something great yeah. as well and it's like yes i am valued as a human being not just for what i'm doing but for the fact that around me i can i can sort of see the ripple effects um that other people notice that i have ex- extended that energy into, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. Have you ever had a job where you always felt like, I don't give a shit about this? Or is it always been, tough, or has it always been ev- yeah. any job where there's days that are great, days that aren't? Or, you know what? I'll be totally honest and say that I have a bit of an ego problem when it comes to working um, in the sense that. I feel as though I need to be respected as a human being because if you don't, if you don't, if you don't want me, like Mm -hmm. I am fine with that, but don't expect me to sort of give you back the expectation. Like it's a, it's a two way road. Like for me, employment has always been a two way road. The, the effort that I extend forward is always mirrored by the respect that's bounced back to me. So like mutuality, that's like the thing that has always grounded me in my work environment and I'll say I have never had – I've had one job 
where that sort of come into conflict and I felt some sort of anxiety mm-hmm. about not being respected or it not being a mutual like thing. But that was back in college. Generally speaking, everything that I've done, mostly I've worked for nonprofits though. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily like it's a hostile work environment. But looking back, I was a cashier at Target back in college. And it was one of those things where I – it was a summer job. I was graduating. I was getting ready to go off to Union Seminary in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I was only going to be there for like three months. Yeah. And so I get there. They – I mean, I don't know. I've never had a blue-collar type job up to this point, so to speak, if mm-hmm. you're counting cashier as, you know, blue-collar work. And so – but I've never had like just a, a basic employment. It's always been some sort of, you know – interning for classes yes. okay. or like volunteering, you know, interning right. at the church. It's always been something that's been very intentional or specific to my job field. So this is the first like general like employment. Just job, job, yeah. And I head into that thinking of the same mutuality that I've experienced in nonprofits. And it's like, you know, and so here's what happened is two months into my employment at Target, I end up getting promoted. Like I get employee of the month, a month after I get hired, and all I'm doing is showing up on time, <laughs> fulfilling my duties, making sure – like being proactive and like making sure the, the shelves are like yeah. stocked and all that. Like helping out colleagues and stuff. Like basic stuff that I have always done in my interactions with people prior to this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking why doesn't everyone out like, – like why am I getting rewarded for simply being like a person, right? Like a genuine compassionate person. But so two months in, they end up uh, giving me this like – like plaque or whatever of, of employee of the – I think it was employee of the week actually. Mm-hmm. Employee of the week. And uh, they promote me to electronics to co – like co-lead. Manage the, 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 yeah, Co-manage okay. the electronics section. And it's like two months in. And one week after that, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like I have to leave for New York. But I didn't tell them this oh. ahead of time. And so there's that like great ground of like I'm feeling personal guilt because I – they're saying, like, you're a great employee. Like, we want to reward you. Like, we're, we're moving you up, like, as quickly as we can. Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're saying you're a great employee. Like, we love your work ethic and all this sort of stuff. And so <laughs> I'm feeling torn about this. And I'm like, oh, God, I've got, I've got like, you know, six weeks until I've got to leave, go back to Chicago, get ready to go to New York. And I'm working in Des Moines at the time. And and so a week into heading uh, – co-managing the electronics department, uh, I tell my supervisor that I am going to be leaving. Two days later, my schedule has changed. I'm back at cashier and my hours are reduced or something like that. And so – okay. So here's my response. As somebody who has, like I said, never been in normal employment – and who understands the work relationship to be a mutual thing of like don't re- don't disrespect me and I will do everything mm-hmm. in my power to to give you right. what you want. But if you disrespect me, I will subtly there will be backlash. I will I will find a subversive way to indicate my displeasure. And so I just didn't show up to work for the next two days. And then I showed up the the following day, and I told them I said, oh like. I totally – because they were like, oh, we thought – like, we thought you just left. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I just uh, – you know, you I was at cashier and you guys moved me around and so my schedule, like, changed a lot this past week. So I just – I didn't know what my work schedule was this week. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's okay. And then they just, like, rearranged my work schedule for the next, like, three weeks or, or so. They give like you that. more hours? They – yeah. I mean, they, they returned my hours to, to normal and all of that. But that was kind of – my oh yeah, you know what? As I'm talking, I'm thinking about times that I've sort of been inappropriate in the workplace. That was one of them. <laughs> that was that was one of them, but not as bad. Not as bad as the Iowa caucuses. Oh, tell me about this for Holy sure. Holy shit! I actually don't think I read about this too much in my book, but it was probably the seminal moment. It was the the fulcrum, the the changing point in my perception of politics and working in politics. Is this before or after you met Joe Biden? This was after, and I was working for his campaign. Okay. I, w- I was working for his campaign, and it was November or something like that prior to the Iowa caucuses. Okay. And long story short, I mean, it's a political campaign. It lasts it, – a political campaign in any particular area lasts approximately three to six months depending on the importance mm-hmm. of it. Des Moines, Iowa, first in the nation, very important six-month campaign. 
And so I was working for the campaign for about six months. And I was promised all of these incredible things. I was promised business cards. Never got. I was promised to a chance to meet and have a photo op with Joe Biden as a staff intern. Never got. I was, uh, I was promised the opportunity to, like, be in on some of the meetings to schedule campaign events. I was promised the opportunity to uh, go in advance planning. None of these things that I was promised ever came to fruition. And I'm working here for, like, three or four months working my ass off, basically doing cold calling to Iowa voters in the early winter months where they've already gotten about a dozen calls from all these other campaigns trying to get their votes. And here I'm basically calling them and recalling them and recalling them to check what their status is on who they're deciding to to support in the upcoming caucus. So I'm like, all I'm doing is cold call, Mm -hmm. calling people who don't want to be called. (laughs) Nothing, not a single ounce of what they had had promised came true and the breaking point came when i I actually preached on this once i was uh it was a campaign event where joe biden himself was going to be in town which was a big deal like he you know maybe had a a dozen things around the des moines area that Mm -hmm. we could be a part of he was going to be in town for this event and we were all supposed to meet at the campaign headquarters which was about an hour commute for me to had to take the bus and then walk about two miles to this abandoned shopping mall where everyone was supposed to convene in the early Saturday morning and carpool to this event location about two hours away. Jeez. So I'm up at 6 o'clock getting ready to go. We're all supposed to meet there at 8.30. Get on the bus. Get changed. I'm in my suit and everything. Get on the bus. It's snowing in in late November. And so I'm just like, shit, I got a two-mile walk in the snow. I'd like uh, to get to this. I get to the strip mall where our campaign headquarters is. Not a single car in the parking lot. Are there people like, there? It is It is maybe like 7.45, so there's still supposed to be 45 minutes before we're all supposed to leave. Not a single person's there. The lights of the campaign office are off. No one. Wow. And I'm there 45 minutes before. And so I'm like, oh, no. Like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> there's one of two things that could be possible here. I'm oh. really hoping. And so I call up Rena who is the person who recruited me, and I ask her, hey, I know we have this campaign event that we're all supposed to meet at the office at 8.34. Like, what's going on? She's like, and I hear a bunch of noise in the background. I'm like, oh, shit. And she's like, oh, well, we all decided to meet like an hour and a half earlier and take off. Did not, no one told you? (laughs) And I said, no, no one told me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, well, where are you now? And I'm like, I'm at the campaign office. She's like, Oh, I'm sorry. We're at the event right now. It would take like an hour and a half for somebody to come and pick you up. Like, I don't think we can do that. And I'm just like, well, then what am I supposed to do? She's like, I, you know, I, there's not really anything you can do. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I was pissed as shit. That was another day that I had also. Well, well that day out. everyone got a photo op and met Joe Biden and all these other major players or <laughs> more or less. I mean, it was it was a great opportunity to get super involved in the the intricacies of, yeah. of a campaign, and it was my first big one. And so I end up coming in. Uh, I skip like two days of coming in uh, just because I'm pissed, yeah. and I'm just like fuck you kind of attitude. Yeah. I come in. And I'm I'm still like I'm still fuming, mm-hmm. and my boss, who's the re- the regional campaign director, so he's like you know I mean he's he's relatively big up in the campaign structure, and not the kind of guy who you want to like confront or anything like that. But I am just in this like steely mood of like don't you fucking talk to me like I'm gonna, do, <laughs> I'm, gonna I'm gonna come in I'm gonna do my job but don't you and so he's like oh Rick's like oh he's like hey Rick's how's it going like not even thinking about anything I'm like fine he's like hey what's up. And then I just unload on him, and I start, like, in front of everyone, I'm just like, I, I can't remember what I say. I kind of blacked, <laughs> I kind of blacked out during the period. But Once I, the first few words I, come out, you were just I going and going and, and so going and going. I go on. It wasn't, it wasn't a long this rant tirade. or anything like that, but it was, it was very snappy, and it was very inappropriate. It was very rude. <laughs> in, 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 in full view of everyone else who was working on the campaign, paid staffers and all that. And after I, I get done, he's like, can I see you in the the room next door which is like this huge airport hangar type thing mm-hmm. like the loading bay and he's like so um under normal circumstances what you just did right now i would fire you on the spot and i'm just like okay and uh, but and, and he's like 
But I want to try and understand because, like, you've been a hard worker and you've never raised complaints and, like, like what is going on? And so I just, like, break down and I'm just like, like, I just I fucking know, told you what's like, going on. No, it, well, I explained to him. It's like, like, I, you know, I'm, like, pouring my heart and soul into this campaign like I've been promised all these. And, like, literally, like, tears start running yeah. on my face. And I just, like, I can't control my emotions. Yeah. I'm, I get very emotional in these uh-huh. instances like that. And after he listened to me, he's just like, okay, like, I hear what you say, and um, we'll try to have better communication in the future, but just don't do that again. <laughs> and that was the end of it. And so, like, I feel like I have always, in instances of, like, work, because that, that will be my general, like, I will, I will withdraw. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm disrespected, I will withdraw and then reapproach with just no emotion like mm-hmm. and i'm i tend to be a very care like a, a friendly like interpersonal type of person when i'm working with people i like to develop a rapport and so if i'm disrespected i will withdraw and then like reapproach with just like i'm yeah. this like invisible boundary of i'm gonna do my shit and get out of here like don't you fucking talk to me otherwise you're gonna hear what i have to say like that was my general attitude towards, towards any instance and that i think is the beauty of working in a non-industrial type job is that it's it's all relational right like you can get away with basically murder and almost murder and and still as long as you're able to have a conversation with a person and be able to sort of explain your perspective like my approach not not the most helpful (laughs) i have to say i will i will acknowledge oh man if i had a chance to redo those instances i probably would handle it in a slightly different manner, well, knowing, knowing what I know now, but in the moment, it was kind of like, this is justified, like you're taking a shoelaces or replacing the watch, it's justified, and so I don't necessarily feel bad mm-hmm. about it. It's funny that you mention all that, because I've come extremely close to just going on a tirade in this rant. Several times, though, at like especially at the restaurant, because I couldn't get there until 5 p.m. Most people get there at 4, and in the summer, the money-making is outside sections and so many times i would like not i would come in and i wouldn't have an outside section i would tell the manager like hey i know i can't come until five but like it's been a few shifts where i haven't been outside section it'd be really great if i could get an outside uh section for sure and uh he's like okay sure i come in not not outside and i just go zero to a hundred in a heartbeat and uh i would tell the um the hosts too i'd tell them like hey what's going on and so i'd come in another time and be like what the fuck is this and lydia i'm i'm sorry no victor i i put you in an outside section and then and then angel changed it and i'm just like what the fuck and i'm just and i'm just i'm just so pissed and so what i do is in my head i just play out the scenario in my head and i play out everything that i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. and just let him have it and just mm-hmm. just be just so unforgiving mm-hmm. unforgiving and just shove just it down their throats into the and just submission. stab them and fucking twist it and just pummel them into the ground and stomp and stomp and stomp and just continue stomping and just really let them have it. Absolutely. And every time yeah. I don't do it the angels and of your every time I look back and I'm really happy that I didn't do it. Restraint. Restraint, yeah. is, restraint is an amazing, yeah. a spectacular thing. Oh, man. And so I feel many like times. restraint, I think that brings us perfectly to a topic that I've actually been really kind of eager to get to just because I want to hear your feedback. So <clears throat> this has to do with a – it's kind of on the same topic, but you know, we'll take a 45-degree okay. angle, angle turned into this conversation. Right. So I'm like – I'm on YouTube all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I like small independent creators and follow some of the, the bigger like YouTube personalities. And one of the ones that I follow on a regular basis is Philip DeFranco who I don't know if you've heard that name at all. It sounds familiar. Phil DeFranco is basically the face of news YouTube. So he does news from the perspective of somebody who is not controlled by corporate interests. Okay. So he's very independent. He'll basically say what he thinks. May not be PC all the time, maybe whatever, but he'll give his take on the controversies of the day. And I find him entertaining. I find him engaging. And his whole point is to be like, leave a comment. This is all about a conversation. Let us know what you think. And... So, you know, I, I I comment maybe once every two months or something like that just because I feel like what's the harm in kind mm-hmm. of doing that. Never have gotten anyone to read any of my comments before. 
And so a topic of conversation comes up on Thursday, I think it was, or yeah, I think on Thursday. And it's about, it's an issue about race, which I'm very familiar about. And it has has to do with the fact of his his whole point of the story was there was a, a black person who was criticizing uh, a white person for not understanding racism. Like that was generally the 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 summary. Okay. And I put it in that terms in in that particular term, even though that might not necessarily be how Philip DeFranco okay. himself might articulate it. But that's how I perceived okay. the conversation is that black person yelling at a white person, they don't understand discrimination okay. and racism. And Philip DeFranco's argument and generally his audience is one of, well, like you know, anyone can discriminate against anyone else. It's not necessarily a race thing. And um, and so I decided to comment. And this is uh, one of those videos where, uh, you know, uh, it's just I feel like I'll just put it out here. So here's my response to the issue of discrimination. And this is a comment for clarification in response to the video, not somebody else's comment. No. Yeah, okay. this is just my own comment okay. that I leave. And he's posted it like 30 minutes like he had okay. just posted it for the, so it's a fresh comment. Got it. And so, I uh, here's my response. I say, uh, I don't know. I'm a straight white guy, and I don't mind being and I don't mind being told to shut up by anyone in the black community. I don't take offense. I acknowledge the pain and try to understand. Pride and ego are secondary to potential growth for me. What are your thoughts of that response? Read it again, please. Uh, so, just so this is uh, what you're so, saying. So the context, you're saying the context, I'm a straight is, I'm a straight white guy. I don't feel offended when, you know, somebody else tells me, hey, this is why you should. If a black person tells me that they feel discriminated against in their daily lives, I've learned enough to know that I should listen to their experience because as I'm not black, I I don't know. You need to understand their. And so that was the spirit of my comment, right? Like, does that make sense? Yes. What's your. That totally resonates, and I completely understand with what you're saying because so many times I've. We've talked about something, and I'll make a comment, and you say that is there is nothing wrong with that perspective that you just verbalized. However, look at it through this lens, and then I'm like, oh, because because I'm a straight white guy, I don't even think to view it through this other lens over here. So I think your comment is perfectly legitimate and totally not. no one should take offense at it. I think it's a great way to start a conversation. So you want to hear uh, some of the responses? Sure. All right. So the first response is, what pain? Not one person of the last two generations has any ties to slavery or civil rights denials. They are riding on the coattails of their grandparents and possibly their great-grandparents' struggles and conflicts. If you feel pain for this, you are insane. Next comment. Pushover, huh? Next comment. Ugh, bro, please, man. Shut up and don't be a wimp. I'm a black woman and you haven't oppressed me. You shouldn't just take people wanting to be victim lying down. Next comment. Stop accepting stop accepting that shit. You didn't cause anything. You don't owe anybody anything. Nobody does. This is coming from a black man. Next comment. Weird. I usually get shot at. I'm black, by the way, but I'm not a victim. I'm planning to move away from the neighborhood soon. Next comment. And blacks have been killing whites until recently as well. No hands are clean. Don't feel bad if you didn't do anything. Next comment. Not one person in the last two... Just quoted something. Next comment. You don't need to feel pain to understand them. Your pain is not their pain and vice versa. Feeling pain for black people just develops emptiness inside yourself. You'll grow to feel worthless as a human being that bleeds the same color they bleed. It's not healthy for you. Please seek help. Please. Next comment. You make me sick. And I'm a black man. You are a weak man. Next comment. Realizes you are being sarcastic. Removes like. <laughs> Next comment. Personal growth isn't the same as being as bending over backwards for hypocrites. Ego literally has nothing to do with it, and it still doesn't actually help the conversation. Since, you know, you can't talk if you always shut up when you're told. Nice virtue signaling, though. The problem so with leaving on, comments... It goes, on, it goes on and on. The problem with leaving comments is that any idiot can leave them. Well, yeah, and but I mean, these are these. This is his audience. Like, this is his core base. Like, yeah. this is this is the general sentiment that you get throughout the comments. And I think what that made me realize was just, you know, it's it's sort of this sad realization of just the cesspool of like ideology that is on social media and places like YouTube, where it's like 
they're not really interested in a conversation or a dialogue or you know advancing their you own can tell immediately that the, a lot of those comments aren't necessarily in response to what you were saying as they are so much is yeah. just an opportunity for them to voice their opinion regardless of what it is that they read you know i what think saying? that's a very astute perception and i think that's that's the thing that probably was highlighted the most for me is that like it doesn't necessarily matter what i say like if i if i use buzzwords like i'm a white man who feels some sort of empathy for the black experience that is instantly as you are a you know pathetic weak-minded liberal who will you know take it up the butt for, for yeah. your social justice warrior causes and it's it's very interesting to me as somebody who like totally under understands like I, even in those comments i totally understand you know what those people are saying it's not relevant to what i was trying to convey yeah but i can understand the core message of what they were trying to get at and it's just very fascinating to me that's like you know it, it that that itself i think reveals to me the nature of the cesspool that is the internet and that is there's no like it's a place for you to post your opinion but it's not a it's not a place for you to grow like you got to do do your growing mm-hmm. in your personal life you can't i mean if you spend all your time sort of vomiting your opinions on youtube facebook twitter or like whatever the case is mm-hmm. all you know, like like all you're doing is making yourself sick like yeah. you know you're not cuz really what good will come of those comments right it's not like any of them were trying to persuade me and so what are they doing but making themselves feel better by you know writing some sort of vindicative yeah. message that defends their preconceptions as opposed to saying oh i might need to reconsider this kind of thing not a single one of those comments was oh you've made me reconsider this or oh like mm-hmm. let's let's how many comments were in response to your comment 30 Okay, and the the first one, the negative comment, the first one that I that I read, my my post had thirty thumbs up, his had like one hundred and twenty. Holy shit! So I think that that's that's an indication, and it was very interesting too because mine was posted right up at the top, but you could tell with an, it doesn't show the number of thumbs down, but you can tell by indicated the number of thumbs down by the position that it moves in the level of the comments. So it's very interesting to me to see. Yes, a lot of people were thumbs downing my comments and thumbs downing or thumbs upping people who were bashing yes. what I had to say. And you know, it, it's one of those things where I I'm not like I'm not mad about it. I'm not upset about it. it doesn't really like it. It hasn't it hasn't affected my sleep one iota because their opinions don't really matter anything to me. So why should I dwell on that mm. kind of attitude? But it is revealing to me because I like doing th- random things like that where it's just like, yeah, maybe once in, a, once in a while I'll post just a comment and see what comes back and see what sort of the, what the feedback, what the vibe is in a particular area of conversation. And when you see that sort of feedback, it just – it makes me so sad. It really does. I mean there are – the fact that within, within, within an hour of me posting that comment, there were a dozen people who had responded – to a comment on a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Who, these are not bots. These are people who are literally typing what is on their heart in that moment. Like they are real people typing real feelings. Mm-hmm. But if that is their initial gut reaction and, and instinct, it's kind of alarming, I have to say. But I don't know. What like what hearing all of this, what are you what what is your sort of uh, assessment of the situation? Well, to kind of answer your question, I don't know when I started doing this, <clears throat> but I started a lot of – when I hear things, before immediately voicing an opinion, I keep quiet as much as I can to just continue listening and not say anything because then let's say if you're in a group of people and you're listening to people's arguments, it's just like you almost stop and think to yourself – do you even hear what you're saying? Because you don't make any sense. Do you hear what you're saying? What a what a salient comment. And I re- and if you do it enough times, people will be like, people notice that you don't say anything, and it kind of gives you time and thought to kind of think about what you're going to say. Oh, I was going to say this, but this person said it and actually sounds really dumb. So I really enjoy taking time to think before mm-hmm. speaking unless i'm fucking around and making a joke you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but in certain scenarios i think also people sometimes feel like when 
when a response is requested that they respond right away without mm-hmm. taking the time no to think. Filter, like no. when we interviewed Elliot Hulse and we he we would ask him a question and you would you would say like, okay, what we're trying to say is this, but the reason he didn't answer right away is because he was he st- stopped and he took several moments to think about how he wanted to respond to a question mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. answering it right away. But I think that goes to the sense that even in an instance like that, a lot of times when you're engaging people over the interwebs, it has to do with maintaining control. Like people are always interested in sort of maintaining control of their own and I'm okay also, especially when you bring things to light, I'm okay <laughs> admitting, oh, you know what? I think my you know opinions can't really be right or wrong. They're just these intrinsic things. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But I'm okay saying, oh, this is how I thought about this. Mm, I should give this perspective a different yeah. view. I'm yeah. o- I don't feel the need to immediately throw up the throw up walls of defense when my opinion or my ideology is, is challenged challenged yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that i mean and i i, I think that that is something that happens pretty much I, I don't see how it necessarily happens over the internet it has to happen on an interpersonal like relational basis you have to have a relationship with somebody in order to be open enough to accept their criticism Mm -hmm. you're not going to accept criticism from somebody you don't know or don't trust or don't respect right like you have to have that rapport and you know it goes to so that's the negative part of the internet the positive part of the internet like i'm a you know i work i work race channel i see i see the comments they're 95 percent positive glowing like supportive like that is the great part of the internet but it's non-controversial right it it allows people to let their guards down and with ray's attitude of like i am a flawed human being who is simply trying to do the best that he can other people say oh my goodness he's not trying to be better than me he's simply trying to be right and that allows me to open up to him and so you see on that end like the openness that the internet offers but the only real growth that I've seen when it comes to a relational connection is in person. And I, again, I look to Ray and, and just countering some of his sort of, um, um, perceptions. Like for example, liberals want to take your guns away is probably like the biggest thing that, that he would believe on a general basis. Like liberals want to take my, yeah, he said Mm -hmm. that countless times. And I was able to finally have a conversation with him where I said, listen, I'm a liberal. I hang out with liberals. Like, I know liberals like the back of my hand. I liberals are, you know, I am a liberal. I, and in all of my years of being a liberal and being involved in politics, never once in my entire life have I heard another liberal saying they want to take your guns away. The only people who have ever said they want to take your guns away are conservatives saying liberals want to take your guns away. Those are the only people Mm -hmm. who have ever made that claim no liberal has ever made that claim and so like when i said that to him he's like oh like because all he had heard is the conservative perspective which is liberals want to take your guns away liberals want to and i'm I'm saying i'm a liberal i don't and my all my friends are liberals we do not want to take your guns away like that is not what we want we want to prevent criminals and psychopaths from owning guns like reasonable and rational things that even you would be able to agree with like we just want a safer world and we don't want to take away guns from law abiding citizens because we have a second amendment. And I saw this like look in his eye where he, he was like, wait, like you just presented me with information that I've never had in that my, he never would have come across ever. that he would have never, not only never come across, like he may have come across it, but he would have never listened in the way that like you saw his head tilt mm-hmm. and his eyes squint and he was thinking and processing and whether or not that has a lasting impression, it doesn't matter. That would never have been possible unless we had that sort of relational connection, connection already, yeah. and having that conversation in person where it's it's not you don't it's not a delayed reaction. It's you get to see those instantaneous facial, you know, things of like you're engaged like you you and you're able to process, like you're able to 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 navigate through complex situations by saying we're both friends. We're both in this together. We're not against each other. We're trying to understand. 
And if that basis is the fundamental understanding of the relationship, then, like, I mean, shit, I've learned so much from him. And the concern, like, I know things about conservatives and and hold empathy and compassion for conservatives in a way that I have never in a thousand years thought that I would be able to simply by listening to what he has to say. And that is such a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, the internet, you can dismiss things and just exit out of a box if you don't like it. Rather, I think with a person, you kind of have to, especially if you know them, like, oh, this, you, you can't run away. Or you have to, when they say, what do you think? It's like, oh, the, I actually now have to elicit a response as opposed to just changing my social media form and going to something else. Exactly, exactly. And it's like social media can be a spark to, like, if you find something, like, like grinds your gears, you can you can engage that, and it should be engaged on an interpersonal level where it extends outside the digital medium into actual physical human contact. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. I mean, I think that, that the beauty of social media can be that it can connect you with people with disparate beliefs, but the actual work takes place afterwards. Like we're, we're, we're all caught up in this like first step. Like we can't, we can't deny that we as a culture have a problem mm-hmm. like with social media and communication. Like the first step to recovery is what? Is what is it? Admitting defeat or something like that, right? You got it, baby. Yeah. Admitting defeat. Admitting defeat. That is exactly wh- where it comes down to. And that's the approach that I take when I experience things like this, when, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a human world, man. Like, <laughs> that's, I, I, I can't really sum up more than, yeah, I don't it's know. A human I, I'm sorry. World. It's a human world is about as comprehensive as I can get with this dialogue, so.